Principal Matters Podcast, episode 315. Hi, friends. This is Will Parker, host of Principal Matters, the School Leaders Podcast, where each week we bring you inspiring, innovative, and imaginative ideas for your own school leadership. This week, we're talking about recalibrate your culture with my special guest, Jimmy Casas. Jimmy Casas has been an educator for 30 years, serving 22 years as a school leader, including 14 years as principal at Bittendorf High School. Under his leadership, Bittendorf was named one of the best high schools in the country three times by Newsweek and U.S. News and World Report. Jimmy was named the 2012 Iowa Secondary Principal of the Year and selected as runner-up as NASSP's 2013 National Secondary Principal of the Year. He's also the author of eight great books for educators and the owner of Jay Casas and Associates, where he serves as a professional leadership coach for school leaders across the country. In 2020, he launched Connect Ed, a publishing company aimed at giving back to the profession by supporting educators to become published authors. And his newest book is called Recalibrate the Culture, Our Why, Our Work, and our values. He's also a dear friend. And Jimmy Casas, because I get to see you as we talk, I am just so happy to have your smiling face in my screen. Welcome to Principal Matters Podcast. Why don't you fill in the gaps on that intro and maybe tell listeners something else they may be surprised to know about you. All right, Will, thank you so much. 315, oh my God, you are getting old, dude. 315, that is incredible. <laughs> that is awesome. And I'm just so proud of you. Here's what the listeners don't know. Damn, you look good tonight. I want that Aww. shirt and I want that tie. So uh, I love that tie. It looks good on you, buddy. So uh, yeah, while well, I'm sitting here in a hotel room in Arkansas, you're sitting there. So, uh, but uh, thank you so much for that opportunity. I'm just looking forward to this podcast. I'm super excited about Recalibrate the Culture. And uh, it's funny, right? Because I still remember, Will, literally um, about a year and a half ago, um, I was at my house and I spent about three hours scribbling these notes all over my whiteboard that I had on my phone that I had been accumulating for about two years. And I wrote it all on there and I brought Keela into the office and I said, hey, you see that? And she looked right at it. And she goes, what's that? I said, that's a book. Mm -hmm. And so I could already see it, right? Now I just needed to sit down and write it, but it was all there and I was ready to do it. So anyway, I'm super excited to talk about that, but um, thank you so much for the opportunity. I love that. And I love the idea of visualizing something before it happens. I was just reading a great post by uh, a friend of ours, Danny Bauer, who's one of his books was just released. And he was talking about the same thing, how he sits down and he writes out, you know, brainstorms and, and puts out a visual in front of himself of what it's going to be. Um, Jimmy, you and I also partnered together uh, for my third book, Pause, Breathe, Flourish. So thank you so much for that opportunity because Connected Publishing has just been um, producing some amazing content. And I've had a lot of great uh, guests on this program because of Connected. So thank you for pointing me towards great authors like Zach Bowermaster, who was on recently. But this is so exciting for me because I've known you for a long time. You've been a guest it, uh, some of the work that we've done here in Oklahoma through our State Principals Association. I've known you through the National Association of Secondary School Principals. I've worked with you on publishing books, but this is the first time you've been a guest on my show. And so I'm just celebrating today that I finally get to introduce you to listeners who have heard me mention you so many times, but Jimmy Casas, the man, is in the room. And in your new book, Recalibrate the Culture, Our Why, 
our work and our values. I told you before we started recording that I'm going to try to be succinct myself because there's so much I want you to share. And so I'm going to do a little summary. Your book revisits the four premises of culturizing positive school culture, which you've talked about a lot in your other work, lead from a core set of values, cultivate a community of leader, see the culture through the eyes of others. Um, the average exists in every organization. And so I'm just going to try to jump into each one of those with a question. So in your section on lead from a core set of values, could you explain how using the power of why, passion, behavior, and change are helpful ways to recalibrate core values? Yeah, so one thing to kind of look at it, Will, is I'm a believer um, is that in order to help us lead our organizations, in order to be a more of effective leader, here's one thing I never learned when I first went in the profession. Nobody talked to me about the importance of recognizing the importance of these frameworks and protocols and processes. And how do you develop a system, right? I didn't know any of that. I just went in, I just put out fires all day long, right? That's what I did. And um, I really wasn't, I hadn't matured yet, right? I hadn't really evolved into the leader, right? That I wanted to be, right? Like, how do you take a vision and how do you move it forward? How do you create this high-performing culture? How do you create an environment where everybody wants to be a part of it? These are things we have to think about systemically and we have to have the right process in order to make this happen. So, so the four premises that you mentioned is really a framework, right? It's a framework and the four core values of Culturize is a framework within the framework. And so we use frameworks to help us keep us our vision moving forward. So we behave in ways that will align with our values, right? And so these things protect us a little bit, especially as leaders, because if we don't have a place to operate from, sometimes we can maybe overreact, right? We can misdiagnose it. We can maybe get a little bit too emotional. Maybe we can take things personally, right? These things hurt our culture. They hurt us as leaders. And so in order to create a healthier culture, we have to create a healthier version of us, right? And so... Core values are critical to help us keep us steady, keep us grounded in our values. In other words, I often encourage people to kind of revisit their values. In other words, where are they leading from? People need to know who is my leader? What will my leader go to the wall for? What, my, what, is, what is my leader passionate about? You know, I need to understand and know my leader um, because I believe most people want to be led, right? But they want to be led by somebody who has integrity, somebody who has a passion, a vision, and, you know, has integrity, these, these characteristics and attributes that we know are all effective leaders have, right? And so those four core values allow us to help us lead an organization. So I'm often sharing with people, hey, lead from your core value, right? So if you believe, for example, that we should be championing for students, then lead from that conversation. Say, hey, listen, I get it. And I know you're frustrated with the young boy or young student, but hey, listen, just remember, one of our responsibilities is we want to champion for our kids, right? That means we're not going to quit on kids. And sometimes we just need to spend more time to understand their story. That core value will protect me so I don't overreact and get frustrated with the student, right? That I have to believe that every kid wants to be great, right? That's core principle number four. So these core principles will protect us and allow us to bring a better versions of ourselves to every situation, which would, again, one of my core values is carry the banner. Well, that means I have to bring the best version of myself to a situation to a conversation to an interaction so when i walk away the question is will they carry the banner for me if not then i probably mismanaged that conversation i might have damaged the relationship i might have you know i might have argued with the person i might have you know not been so kind i might have been condescending those things will all hurt me as a leader and eventually hurt us as a culture and an organization so that's kind of how i would use the core values now the power of why specifically 
one of the things I love about that is because one, I'm a Simon Sinek fan, right? So I always think about the power of why in terms of, well, why do people lose their passion for what they do, right? It becomes a job. It's just that kind of a grind. It's their work, but they don't walk in every day excited and jacked up and ready to go take on the world because they've lost that passion for what they do. And so now they're just kind of checking the box. They're going through the motions. And so, you know, I always remember that, like I lost my why, right? That's why I tell people, I, that's why I tell people go back to the interview chair because that's your why. That was the real you, right? You killed it, right? They hired you. You were amazing in that interview. And then all of a sudden now, you know, a year later, three years later, five years later, we're behaving in ways that do not align with what we said in that interview chair. And that's because people get tired and they get frustrated and they begin to question, they doubt whether this job is worth it and whether they can all, whether we can do it or not, right? These are, it's because we're not superhuman, we're human, right? These are, we're human and uh, we have feelings and we can get frustrated and sometimes we can feel like we're failing and then we get lost in that. And so, but once COVID hit, well, and I was in buildings, I was, it was really interesting to me just to watch the way people were behaving during this time, right? It was really interesting. And the more I watched it, the more I started this, uh, understanding that, you know, it's really interesting how people are responding right now, the way they respond to this. I, I see people getting agitated very quickly, they're overreacting, they're getting emotional, they're getting frustrated. They just don't seem to be very kind to one another. Everybody's stressed out and overwhelmed, right? And these were all the impact, right? The, the, the impact that COVID had on our mental health, right? As educators and every profession for that matter. Because the reality is people realistically were going through really hardships, right? They were losing jobs. They were scared. They were traumatized, right? It was triggering other, you know, experiences that they had, you know, whatever that happened. But I was watching how people responded and I realized, I wonder why they responded that way. And then I would see things and I'm like, hmm, I wonder why they got so defensive. I wonder. And then I started realizing it's kind of like the power of why, like, why do people behave the way they behave? I don't know. But I could then tie it back to the core value of culturize and say, but what if I invested more time in that relationships? If I did that, then maybe I could understand a little bit more about why they behave that way or why they responded that way. And when I can do that, it draws out of me a little bit more compassion. I tend to be a little bit more empathetic, right? Because I begin to understand the story. So then I begin to say, hey, there's more than just a passion. It's about behavior. Why do people behave the way they behave? And I know this, I've learned that people behave the way they behave based on past experiences. And if we don't invest time to understand those experiences, then I feel like we devalue them. So that is something I started recognizing. So of course me, I started creating a framework, right? I take Simon Sinek's why, right, of the passion, then I add the why of the behavior. But then I also noticed this, that as I interviewed people and began to ask them, you know, what's creating this unhealthy culture? What's creating the stress? What I realized is people weren't clear. They were hesitating. They were anxious. They were worried. So as I began to dig, what is causing this, it was because honestly, oftentimes we as leaders were not very clear in our expectations. Because again, people want to do a good job, but they need to know what is expected of me so I can perform at the level I need to perform so you feel that I'm a valued employee. And so then I started realizing it wasn't just about clarity and what the expectations was, although that was a major part of it, but it revolved all around change that every time we try to implement a new initiative and every time we ask people to do something, if we weren't clear in that, if, we, if people didn't understand why we were asking to change or why we were doing this, then again, it created issues in our culture. It created undercurrents. You know, I, you know, I talk about these undercurrents, right? These are things that are negative to our culture and they hurt our culture and our morale and just the overall climate of the building. And so then I started creating this framework because I'm a big believer that frameworks help us in our leadership. So now I've got a framework to say, hey, listen, 
I understand you're frustrated, but you know, they've lost their passion a little bit, but let's find out why they've lost their passion. In other words, why are they behaving that way? I don't know, but let's find out. Let's invest more time. And by the way, if we're going to implement something, let's make sure that people are very clear. In other words, why are we asking them to do what we're asking them to do? And if they have clarity to that and they understand the why behind it, then my experience is people tend to be more invested in that. It no longer is about compliance. It's more about, hey, I understand this and I'm all on board and I want to be a part of this because this is exciting to me. And I know this will help benefit kids and hopefully help benefit our overall culture of our school. The power of why. Well, and what I like about that, Jimmy, so much is one, it's a great way to look inward first to identify where I may be getting off track in terms of understanding my why and how it affects my behavior, but also when you're dealing with other people that, and so principal managers, listeners, just to summarize, like I like to, you know, that passion, understanding, uh, revisiting what your purpose is, but then looking and analyzing behaviors to really understand what's motivating people to behave the way they behave first before figuring out then what was the part I played in that or can play in that as a leader in terms of influencing the, the way we implement change, for instance. And so right. there's just so much wisdom in that, Jimmy. Um, it, it, other thoughts you want to add before I ask my next question? No, just a, just a reminder that, you know, to, to kind of frame it up and see it is that culture to me is all about behavior. Look at the behavior in the organization and that will pretty much define the culture, right? We mm-hmm. can't talk about, oh, we're trying to be a school of excellence. I know, but look at the behavior of the people in the main office. Look at the behavior of the administrator. Look at the behavior of the teachers in the hallway, Right they're not modeling what we would consider excellence. So if we're going to talk about excellence, don't tell me, show me, model it, show me what it looks like, right? Let's look at the behavior. The behavior will will show us that. So these frameworks are really to protect us as leaders to really, and this has kind of been where I've been focused on, honestly, in about the last two months here, Will, mm-hmm. is right now today, for example, I'm in Arkansas and I'm reminding ministers, hey, listen, here's one thing I'm going to ask you. First of all, slow down, mm. slow down right? This is October. We know what happens in October, Will. People are tired. We've been going at it for two months. This is the time of the year right now. The first wave of people are starting to get a little frustrated, a little tired, to get wore down. This is why I talk about we have to be really intentional to recalibrate. Let's slow down. Let's breathe. But these frameworks will protect us. If I use the power of why, I won't overreact to that kid in the hallway right now. I'm going to say, hey, I wonder why he's acting that way. Now I'm going to go invest time to understand the story. I'm going to approach it a little bit differently, not too aggressively, not, you know, not, not yelling at them, right? Not elevating them, right? But slowing down and taking a different perspective on it and seeing it differently. I'm going to recalibrate this and slow down and recognize I need to see this differently. So that's kind of how I'm seeing it right now. This mm-hmm. is a perfect time of the year for that too, by the way. Well, I, I want to add a quick thought. I was coaching a group of principals this morning virtually and, um, I was walking through those questions on what motivates you. And and one of the ways that's helpful for me to um, think about motivation is the things that is to first look at the negative motivations that we have. And so two of the things I like to talk about are one fear, how often fear will motivate us to make decisions based on self-protection or worried about what other people think or Fear, fear often pushes you in all kinds of really weird directions in terms of avoiding conflict. But the flip yeah. side of that is pride, which is the, the things that motivate us that are often also ego protecting or reputation protecting or wanting to look good in front of other people or wanting to, you know, uh, to promote my own um, power. 
Um, so, so the question I always follow that up with is what's the third alternative? And that third alternative always brings us back to what you just talked about, Jimmy, which is, which is a why that's focused on the good for others, uh, helping kids discover curiosity and, and the, and rekindle the, the passion for learning. And the same thing goes for the reason we show up for work. If we're showing up for work because we're trying to put out fires all day long, or we're trying to avoid conflict, we're going to, we're going we're gonna to work out of that fear or that pride, but we're certainly not going to show up with a, a passion that helps us stay focused on, on the solution. So I, I love it that you start there. And, um, and then this, as, as your book progresses, you, you really dive deeply into each of those areas, recalibrating each of those core areas, including cultivating a community of leaders. And so I wanted to ask you this question because you, you use such a great analogy about how building leaders is like sharpening an ax. Talk about that a little bit for um, principal managed listeners. Yeah, that, you know, this all comes all around building capacity, right? And this again, picks up from culturize is that, hey, leadership is never meant to be a committee of one. And right now we all know that school leadership can be taxing, it can be exhausting, it can be overwhelming. But the reality of it is most of us who go into the leadership role go in because we want to be fixers, right? We believe that we can do things a little bit better, right? We, we see things, we see problems, and by nature, many of us are fixers, and there's a danger to that, right? And so what can quickly happen is we can feel the pressures of wanting to do a great job. We feel responsible as the building leaders. And so oftentimes, we take so much on that we're trying, we, we got our hands in everything, right? We're trying to control, manage, do everything in the building. We just can't do that. We can't sustain that. That's the problem. And eventually we'll wear out or we'll get frustrated or we'll get burned out or whatever, or we'll respond in ways that actually hurt our culture. So the key is how are we being really intentional building capacity? Well, one of the keys to building capacity is we got to sharpen our own saw or sharpen our own ax all the time, right? In other words, this is really about the cultivating really is about modeling. And so what we need to help the other leaders in the building, whether that's an AP, whether that's a secretary, whether that's our teachers, whoever those individuals are right and again in my belief everybody has the capacity to lead but we kind of constantly be having to reflect on our own behavior because we have to see ourselves as model we have to teach others right what excellence looks like and if we can't model it we can't teach it it's going to be really hard for us to influence others to live their best selves when we're not living our best selves so so part of that's just the intentionality of how are we doing that? So one of the things I always challenge principals is, what do you see your role as? What do, what do you ultimately, what is your role as a building leader, right? Sum it up for me. Give me your elevator speech. What do you see yourself? Most people can't answer that, right? They don't really have, they don't really think about it that way. They'll give me an answer. But if I ask them a day later, they'll give me a different answer, right? Because they're not grounded in what, what their purpose is and what they're here to do. I mean, I'm very clear in mind, but I wasn't easy either initially. If you would ask me by the first 12 years, I would say, I don't know, I'm just, I'm just here to be a servant leader. That's what I'm here to do, be a servant leader, right? Well, what does that mean, right? And so now I know that my mission and my purpose, right, my why is to inspire others to be more and do more than they ever thought possible. That's how I see everything, right? But how do you do that? Well, to me, that comes through coaching, right? I, I, I want to coach people. I want to teach people. That's where I started my profession as a teacher. I want to be a teacher again. And so part of it as being a principal is I see my role as a principal in growing and developing the leadership's characteristics and attributes and skill sets and talents of those around me. Why? Because it aligns back with building capacity. And so if I see my role as growing, developing leaders, if Will Parker is my assistant principal, I want Will to be a great leader, a great principal. I want him to be successful. I want him to walk in and kill it. I want him to crush it. 
And I want them to look back and say, I want people to say, where did you learn that, Will? Like, how did you just know that? Like, well, honestly, you know, I just had really good mentors. And, uh, you know, the administrative team I worked with before with, you know, Jimmy and Christy and Kevin and Joy, whatever, we, this is just how we did business, right? Like, that is really awesome, right? Because I want to set you up for success, right? I want you to experience, right, this job that is so awesome that I love so much. I want you to be successful at it, right? I want you to feel like, this is the most incredible job there is. I want you to always have that feeling. Well, I have to be a part of creating that with you, but I can't do that if I'm not modeling it, right? So I want to model what it means to be a leader of integrity, a, a, a leader of faith, a leader of compassion, a leader of empathy, a leader of whatever it is. That's how I see it now. I didn't see it initially that way at all, right? But as I evolved and realized because I lost my way, I realized I lost my way because... I wasn't doing those things, right? That is servant leadership, right? You're serving others. But part to me of servant leadership is I have to serve me too, right? And so these are the things that we have to be really careful about, in my opinion. So yeah, so I see that as I sharpen my axe first, and then I help others sharpen theirs. And more importantly, I teach them how to sharpen their axe to get a better result. Well, I love the story that you tell in your book about the um, the competition between the old lumberjack and the young lumberjack. And they are in the competition of seeing who can cut down the most trees. And the young lumberjack ha has more strength than the old lumberjack. But by the end of the day, the old lumberjack has cut down more trees. Cut down more trees. Yeah, and the, the, and young, the guy young guy's younger, he's stronger, he's faster, uh -huh. right? And he's cocky, he's confident, he thinks he's got this old man whooped. But sometimes, Right. As we grow and evolve in this profession, we get a little wiser, don't we? We get yeah. a little wiser. Well, and what, uh, what I love about that analogy is that the old lumberjack cut down more trees because he took time to sharpen that axe. And then, but and the stories are so helpful for me, Jimmy. I had never thought about it until I um, learned that story from you that, that the best way to sharpen our axes as leaders is to develop other leaders and, and so you and I both know this, that we are so prone to thinking that working harder will re, result in better outcomes. And that's not always true. Um, developing other people who can help you create those outcomes is always going to lead to more outcomes. And uh, Don't and so, apologize for a strong work ethic, but no. model the benefits of a strong work ethic and let people see the value of what happens when you have a strong work ethic. That mm -hmm. one of those things is as we build our capacity, I'd rather influence people to see what the benefits of that are for all of us if we teach it that way, right? And again, it just goes back to teaching. And so, yeah, when when I came across that story, Will, about three years ago, it was really funny. I was reading it. As soon as I read it, I was like, oh my God, this is <laughs> this is exactly what I'm thinking, right? And I just wrote it down. I wrote it down. I said the story of the axe of the lumberjack, right? And I knew someday I would put that in a book because it was the perfect analogy of building capacity. I just hadn't written that book yet. So, but I knew that would go in there someday. Oh, I love that. So when building leadership with others, you also share tips for rethinking changes in others. And you say this, I'm going to quote you to yourself, quote, you may not see it, but in some ways you are contributing to the issue. So keep looking inward. And, and there's a lot of context in that chapter around that quote, but what do you mean by this and how can leaders looking inward help them gain perspective on changing others? 
Yeah, this one's always a hard one for me, Will, because this one can actually be kind of offensive. <laughs> so I just have to be careful. I have to present a little bit. But I always say to people, like, I'm never going to judge and I'm always going to give grace and I'm not trying to be critical, but I am really talking about my own experiences, right? And I tell people that if you haven't figured it out now, everything I write about is really my own failures. I just present it a different way, right? I don't want to come across like I suck, right? Because I didn't suck, but I created a lot of my own issues. I just didn't know it at the time. One of the biggest issues I created for myself, which is why I often talk about people have heard me speak, I talk about that edge of the couch moment where I landed on the edge of the couch 12 years in the profession. I went in the profession because I want to be great at what I did, but I wasn't doing so great. And I'd lost my way. I was just frustrated and tired. And, and part of the reason was I didn't see it at the time, but it became clear later with the guidance and support of some really incredible mentors of mine who cared about me enough to call me out on it. It hurt my feelings, right? Because I got defensive about it. But I needed to hear it. And that was, Jimmy, you're on the perimeter. You're out here, right? You need to invert that and come back internally. You need to come back here to your inner self. I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, Jimmy, every time you don't get the results you want, you go to the perimeter to go look who to blame. And I never really looked at it that way. I mean, I knew I did, but it seemed something when he did this to me, it just made sense. It was a visual for me. And as you can tell, I'm a visual learner, right? And, and that just clicked right away. I'm like, oh my God, I'm out of here all the time, right? And if you think about it in our organizations, teachers land on the perimeter, right? In other words, what they do is they blame the children. Hey, the kid's not doing his homework and the kid's not paying attention and the kid's doing this. They're on the perimeter too, but what they don't realize is that their own behavior or their own response or the way they approach the student or the fact that they haven't built a relationship, all that contributes to that behavior, right? And so in order to get off the perimeter, we got to come back and say, what am I contributing to that? In some way I am. And this is where I often tell people, it took me a long time. And I mentioned this in Recalibrate is I've realized I'm on the perimeter or I'm the undercurrent. In fact, a lot of the issues that I'm creating for myself in, in both my professional and personal life, I was creating it, but it was easier for me to stay on the perimeter because then I don't have to own any of it, but I can't get better. There's no growth for me. There's no reflection. I'm not, I'm not growing and evolving, developing as a leader because I'm on the perimeter because as long as I'm on the perimeter, I don't have to do anything different. I just blame everybody else. So the way to look at this is, is as simple as this. I want to encourage our listeners to understand, and if they can reflect on it and see it this way, it's as simple as this. When you or I do not get the results that we want, something's not right with our process. Mm -hmm. I somehow contributed to that. I just maybe not see it, but what if I gave other people permission to help me see it, right? Because that's what we want to do, because none of us are going to be able to get there wherever there is, right? In that evolution, right? In our maturity and growth as a leader unless we give other people permission to help us get there, because no one can do it by themselves. I can't, you can't, we can't. This is really about creating a culture of permission, a permission where everybody helps everybody be great at what they do. But that can only happen through a foundation of relationships and trust. And we have to develop these cultures, right? Because at the end of the day, the only way to create a high-performing culture is everybody's gotta be a part of that high-performing culture. We're all responsible for the culture and climate of our schools. It's that simple. But we tend to put it on the building principle or Principals put it on the superintendent and we put it on the teachers, but we're all out on the perimeter, right? And how do we get everybody to you know? No, we always start inward first, right? And what did I contribute to that? Think about your marriage. What did I do to get my wife to get frustrated with me, right? I did something. I just don't see it, but I did because, uh, but if I blame her, then I'm going to be out on the perimeter. And by, by the way, that's how you end up in divorce, Will, right? Because I lived on the perimeter and that's the part, unfortunately, I couldn't recover. 
And that's what I get worried about for a lot of, especially our young leaders who get on the perimeter, they tend to transfer that behavior from school to home. And they'll stay on the perimeter home as well. And this is how we damage relationships. And unfortunately, I could never recover from it. And I'll always punish myself for that and beat myself up for that. I can't fix it. I can never fix it. But the good news is I have a great relationship with my ex-wife now. And the only reason that happened is because I got off the perimeter and started looking inward. And as soon as I changed me, I don't think it's a coincidence that that relationship improved immediately. And in my new relationship now, I am so much better than I've ever been. And it's only because I realize now I have to give her permission to help me be great because there'll be moments I'll still want to go to the perimeter. And I've already given her permission to say, hey, you're kind of edging towards the perimeter. I'm going to say, you're right. I'm coming right back in because I know it's me. And that's how I see it. It's great marriage counseling, by the way, too. <laughs> it is. Well, Jimmy, I so appreciate how vulnerable you are with your life, not just your work too. And and I know those people in your life. And I can say from the outside looking in um, how much I admire those relationships and and the trust that you've built in all of those relationships too. Um, I want to wrap this up because I'm going to ask you to stay around for a second session so that principal managers listeners get to hang out with you twice um, together. But as I do wrap this up, I, I'm just, I want to just say this for principal matters listeners too, because it's so easy for us when we're frustrated with others, when we're identifying behaviors in others that just make us crazy, when we're seeing things going on around us that are really unhealthy patterns, it's really easy to see those things and to try to figure out what can I do to change or fix those behaviors in others but really, and this is the hardest part, Jimmy, and you said it, we can't do that until we look at ourselves first. We have to look inward first because the challenge I have found in my leadership is that normally when I'm, when I'm getting so frustrated in those behaviors with others, if I look closely enough, I'm probably actually looking in a mirror. And the mm-hmm. things that are driving me the craziest about those people are the things I'm doing too. And so unless I'm willing to first address how am I modeling the things that I'm seeing these people do, or what are the things I've repeated out loud about my, for instance, upper administration or the people leading me that I'm seeing now my people modeling those things back about me. And so it it is a hard place to start. And I've had those same conversations with leaders too, that it sounds insensitive to say, well, before you start changing others first, let's look inside. It sounds insensitive, but it's actually the most productive thing you can do is to dig in deep first before and, and reflect first on where am I modeling these things and where do I need to change? Then I can address the, the needs that I see in other people too. Well, Jimmy, in and case- stronger And the stronger and healthier the relationship, right? That we have with these individuals, the more we can have those conversations. That's why relationships are so important, right? Because people trust you. They know you care. They know you care about them. And the only reason you're doing that is, listen, buddy, I care about you so much that I'm willing to say this. If it hurts your feelings- well, at least I was willing to be the person that was willing to hurt your feelings, but you know how much I care about you and love you, but if somebody's got to tell you this, right? It's coming from you. You just don't see it, right? That sometimes people need that, right? Now, again, I'm not saying that's right. And I'm not saying everybody should do it that way. I just know that that's how it worked for me. And I've done this enough to know that it works, right? But it has to be established. It'll work more effectively if the people trust you. And that's why you have to invest so much in people. It's hard to have a hard conversation with someone you don't have a relationship with. Let's just say that. Oh, that's so good. Well, Principal Matters listeners, I want you to be able to stay connected with Jimmy Casas in case you're listening to this episode and this may be your first time or last time to listen to Principal Matters. So Jimmy, how can listeners stay connected with you and your work and what's a parting word of 
or thought that you want to leave with Principal Ed Matters listeners? Yeah, uh, definitely. You can always get a hold of me through the website. It's the easiest way, jimmycostas.com. Just go there. There's a contact information in there. There's a phone number on there. You can reach out to us and call us if you want or email us or however. And obviously through any social media handles, uh, probably the Twitter uh, Twitter and Instagram are the easiest way at costas underscore Jimmy, costas underscore Jimmy or jimmycostas.com. Uh, and what parting words do I have? I do think it's time, right? I think this is a great time. Um, and we'll talk more a little bit, hopefully in the next section, Will, but I'll say this for now. I, I do think it's time that we slow down and we just take some time to recalibrate, recognize all the things that we are doing well, all the things that we are accomplishing. If not, you'll you'll miss it. You'll just think you're in a rat race chasing all day long and, and you are some days, but if you're chasing every day, something's not right, you know, that you can't sustain that. So at some point we have to go back and find the joy of the work. So I do think it's time that we re recalibrate, right? We go back and we recalibrate our why, then we recalibrate our work, we recalibrate our values, which is about our behaviors, and then we take time to recalibrate ourselves. So that's what I would encourage our listeners to do and, and to slow down and, and take time to recalibrate. Well, the new book is Recalibrate the Culture, Our Why, Our Work, Our Values by Jimmy Casas and Principal Mentors listeners. You can go right now to ConnectEd, two Ds, connected.org and grab a copy of that book. You, you will, you'll want more than one copy. You're going to want to share this with other leaders. You're going to want to share this with educators in your circle. Jimmy Costas, thank you so much for giving time to learn and to grow with Principal Matters listeners and Principal Matters listeners. Thank you for the opportunity to talk to you again this week. And until next time, thanks for doing what matters. You can find free resources like this one at my website at williamdparker.com.